Section 5 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 25. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 25. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labry. Section 5. The House of Disaster. In one of the retired corners of Paris, there is to be found a house with a very remarkable traditionary name, La Maison de Malheur des Flamands, which, being translated into English, bears the meaning of The House of Disaster of the Flemings. For centuries the dwelling in question has been familiarly known by this strange appellation, it is now one of the meanest and ugliest structures in the whole of the crowded quarter where it is placed, though it was once one of the finest and richest. The beauties of its elaborately sculptured front of wood and its oaken doors have been defaced and removed by the influence of time, chains, and change. Still, the incidents which connected the mansion with the Flemish people and gave to it the title of their house of disaster are not yet consigned to oblivion, though they may be known, indeed, to few of those who have the traditionary designation most commonly in their mouths. Michel Vatremetz, a native of Flanders, was the occupant of this mansion some centuries ago. Like many other Flemings, he had come to Paris to exercise his trade or profession, which was that of transcriber or manufacturer of Bibles, and he had risen in the course of time to be the most wealthy and famous artisan in that department in the French capital. He had fifteen apprentices or assistants, who laboured continually in transcribing copies of the sacred writings, and also in painting them, for the majority of Bibles in those days were illuminated, as it was called, or, in other words, illustrated by figures painted on the margins. The copies executed by these assistants were carefully revised by Michel himself, that the text might be preserved in perfect correctness. In this task, Vatremetz was always aided by his young and pretty daughter, Odette, who, while her father had the new manuscript copy before him, read aloud from an old and standard transcription that no forgotten words or mutilated passages might remain unnoticed. Yet Odette herself was often the source and origin of such errors, seeing that, when she was present, the young transcribers were apt not only to make ungainly spots upon the vellum, but also to copy incorrectly the words of the work before them. Though idolized by some of these youths, Odette, however, did not expand a thought on them. The cause was that she had fixed her whole heart and affections on a stranger, a young German who had come to Paris and requested work from her father, as a transcriber of Bibles. In making this request, 
he had stated one condition necessary to be conceded here he could accept work from michel vatremetz this condition was that michel should allow him to work at home at his own lodgings michel knowing the professional skill of the germans agreed to the terms of the stranger who left in the other's hands a massive gold chain by way of security for the vellum which he of course received to work upon gaspar Houtz, as the young german was named in place of passing the whole of his daily time in toiling like the rest of michel's operatives seemed as if he had little else to do but to walk about and enjoy himself like a gentleman of fortune with his handsome person elegantly attired he strolled much about the city viewing all its curiosities and wonders he even came often to the very workshop of michel vatremetz and there seated on the corner of a table he smiled upon odette and murmured in her ear words which were to her a lasting pleasure and a trouble every now and then on making these visits gaspar Houtz would carry off some of the apprentices with him to supper and entertain them gallantly all this sort of work master michel vatremetz noticed and internally felicitated himself on having in pledge the chain of gaspard as the vellum which the latter had got seemed to the fleming to be most decidedly lost in this conclusion he was far wrong scarcely had one month passed away when gaspard Houtz arrived one morning with his bible finished never had the characters presented such regularity never had there been fewer errors in any copy as he counted out his golden crowns michel shook his head and exclaimed this bible young man was surely never wrote by your hands a whole year would scarce have sufficed for such labour in the hands of the most experienced workman and you bring it complete in a month the work is so certainly mine said gaspard that i will produce another here fifteen days be over michel accepted the offer in fifteen days the young german produced a second bible not less perfect than the first old vatremetz had found in the first bible but three errors and in the second he found the very same but this did not strike michel with any great surprise as he knew how apt the end is to get into the habit of making fixed slips at the end of a year gaspar had furnished to michel thirty being as much work as thirty other workmen could have executed on account of this new and every way superior source of supply watermetz dismissed several of his ordinary assistants who in consequence were discontented and menaced gaspar with their bitterest vengeance after the connection had subsisted for the time mentioned michel proposed that gaspar Houtz should come and reside at his house gaspar yielded to this request the more willingly because he loved odette tenderly and deeply and because she had acknowledged an equal affection for him in return
The unsuspicious young German was not aware of the motives of the old Fleming for giving the invitation. Michel had become perfectly assured that Gaspard's Bibles were not transcribed by him as they were done by others. He saw that there was a secret, a mystery, and it was to have it in his power to act as a spy on Gaspard that he brought the latter to stay with him. When that step had been for some time effected, the old Fleming watched Gaspard by night and by day. The young German said always that he wrote while others slept, and in reality a lamp was kept continually burning in his chamber. But Vatomets soon discovered this to be a mere feint by watching at the youth's chamber door. Gaspard was always motionless, in fact asleep. Not being able to penetrate the mystery notwithstanding all these discoveries, Michel began openly to press the young man for an explanation, till at length Gaspard said, Well, it is true there is a secret, a secret which may make the fortune of any man, or perhaps of two men. Give me your daughter Rodette's hand, and I will tell you my secret, and we may soon become rich enough to require to sell no more Bibles. Gaspard received the old man's promise, and then told him that a wonderful art had been invented in Germany, which enabled anyone to produce Bibles and other books with inconceivable rapidity, and that the mobility of the stamps or characters employed permitted the easy correction of any blunder. I have yet thirty Bibles thus made, said Gaspard, in the keeping of a friend. I may have a hundred, whenever I wish them from the same friend who made the others. Not daring to sell the works myself, because they here punish as magical all they do not comprehend, I applied to you, and became ostensibly a transcriber. Gaspard, at the same time, told Michel that the name of the fabricator of the Bibles was Schaeffer, and pointed out the means which had been established for carrying on a correspondence with him, and procuring as many Bibles as might be required, at such a price as would leave the second vendors a princely profit. Michel only consented to the immediate marriage of Gaspard and Odette on receiving a load of Bibles which had been sent for from Schaeffer, who lived without the bounds of France. Thus satisfied, all Vatremets gave permission for the celebration of the wedding within eight days. But two or three mornings ere the day came, one of Michel's former apprentices entered his house magnificently dressed and informed the old Fleming that he, the apprentice, had recently got a handsome fortune by the death of a relation, that his father had just been named master of the merchants, and that he himself had come to place his wealth and hand at the disposal of Odette. The dark shade in Vatrumetz's composition was avarice. He grew pale at the thought of being under the necessity of renouncing an alliance with so rich a family, with the son of the chief of the merchants. Almost audibly he cursed the cause of this, poor Gaspard. 
Gaspard, cried the enraged apprentice, comprehending the truth at once. What? Have I a rival in Gaspard, the miserable wretch who has sold his soul to the devil for the power of multiplying manuscripts? The end of justice hangs over him, and will crush him soon. You, too, were accused of being his accomplice, Michel. Happily, through my father's credit, I got the charge against you suppressed. But as for Gaspard, nothing can save him. All this, unhappily, proved but too real. Gaspard Houts was seized and cast into prison, and the charge against him was supported by the former workmen of Vatremetz. In vain did the poor young German invoke the testimony of Michel. Michel kept an obstinate silence. In vain did Gaspard wish that his own explanations should be heard. The cry of his judges was, The torture! Confess! And when subjected to the horrors of the question, poor human nature sank under it, and to ensure a speedy death and the cessation of his agonies, Gaspard Houts admitted his association with the devil. He was condemned to death, and also to make an amende honorable before his execution in front of the house of Michel Vatremetz, whom he had endeavoured, his judges said, to implicate in a manner where the Fleming was perfectly guiltless. All the Bibles which had been found in Gaspard's possession were given to the convent of the Benedictine, who exercised, blessed, and then sold them for high sums. When the day of execution came, Gaspard Outs was carried to the front of the house of Michel Vatremetz, and there the cavalcade stopped. The doomed youth arose from his seat, pale and wasted, with his irons rattling still on his limbs. But in place of making the expected amende, which the solemnity of the ceremonial had compelled Michel to appear for the purpose of listening to, Gaspard exclaimed, I am the victim of treachery and ingratitude. And this thou knowest well, Michel Vatremetz, who art here to listen to me, and who strugglest to appear composed. Glad wouldst thou have been had my judges spared thee this last interview, but I am here to say farewell and to give thee thanks. Woe upon that house! continued Gaspard, raising his hand and pointing to the dwelling of Michel. Woe upon it! I need not say woe upon thee, Michel Vatremetz, for it is come already on thee and thine, but woe upon all thy race who shall enter or dwell beneath that roof, for ever and ever. Now, lead on to the funeral pile." Three months afterward, Michel Vatremetz wept and tore his hair over the tomb of a broken-hearted girl, his daughter, his only daughter. Six months afterward, a fire destroyed the dwelling and all the effects of Michel Vatremetz. The growing insanity or fatuity of the old Fleming 
was the cause of the fire, and by the same agency he was soon brought to the streets where he passed the remainder of his days, a beggar and an idiot. The prediction of Gaspard Houtz was certainly strangely realized by this and other events that signalized the future history of the house of Michel Patramest. Being a spot where Flemings loved to abide, in the same manner as we find localities taken up by Jews and by other particular races, the dwelling under notice was repeatedly inhabited by Flemings after the occurrence of the events related. Eleven Flemings, says the tradition of the neighborhood, came successively to occupy the Maison de Malheur des Flamands, and of all the eleven, not one escaped a sudden and violent end. Some who have paid especial attention to the circumstances and enumerate the various modes in which the doom fell upon the inhabitants of the house of woe. One perished by assassination, another by the waters of the Seine, a third was broken on the wheel, a fourth died within the walls of starvation, and so on. One of the last of the unfortunate Flemings who tenanted the house of disaster was Jean-Paul Labadie, a man whose fate was particularly hard, and who lived so recently that his story could have been authenticated but a short time ago by living persons. He was a flourishing man. A large sum of money which he had brought with him from his native Flanders had been embarked by him in trade, which he carried on in La Maison de Malheur. He married a most beautiful girl, who commonly received the title of the Belle of the Neighborhood. But soon after his marriage he was arrested and thrown into the Bastille. There. He lay for twenty years, totally ignorant of the crime for which he was thus punished. At length, a great person, who chanced to visit his cell, was seized with pity, and got Jean-Paul liberated, when he learned for the first time the cause of his confinement. A court marquis had seen and admired his wife, and had taken the way related of getting the husband disposed of. Subsequently, Jean-Paul had merely lain in prison because the Marquis had utterly forgot him. These stories of misfortune befalling the occupants of the fated house may be connected or not by our readers, just as they please, with the dying words of Gaspard Houtz. We have our own ideas about the matter, and, no doubt, they will also have theirs. Enough has been said, however, to explain satisfactorily the origin of the name of the Fleming's House of Disaster. End of section 5 Read by Little Miss Clumsy